So today we begin a, a, a new series of messages on the front of your bulletin there called Identity Crisis. And uh, we hear a lot today about uh, identity crisis. It's in the term of identity fraud, identity theft. Uh, what was it, a couple of weeks ago with Equifax, uh, with the breach of um, uh, their website and uh, the, the concern about what kind of information about you, your accounts and background and all that kind of stuff might be out there. If you've been the victim of identity fraud in some kind of way, you know what a nightmare that is, how to get that straightened out. So that's one sense of identity crisis that's out there that uh, we're aware of. But as pastor, uh, I see another sense of identity crisis that children of God, people in the church, those who say they're Christ followers have. And it's, you could call it spiritual amnesia or you could call it um, identity amnesia. Uh, it's really a form of identity crisis because it comes from people who are supposed to be people of God, but they tend to forget who they are uh, in God. And when you forget who you are as a child of God, then you begin to experience doubt and fear and uncertainty. All that creeps into, into your life, and that creates that identity crisis in, in your life as a believer. If you're a believer in Christ and you're living with doubts and fear and uncertainty about your spiritual life, about your salvation, about your eternal life, then you've got an identity crisis. And so we're going to address that because when you have an identity crisis of spiritual amnesia, uh, it makes you feel poor when you're actually spiritually rich. You know, with spiritual amnesia, you feel foolish when in fact you're really in a personal relationship with the God of all wisdom. When you have spiritual amnesia, it makes you fearful and unable uh, when in fact you have been blessed that you are in relationship with the God of all strength and nobody is stronger than God. When you have spiritual amnesia, it makes you feel alone when in reality the Holy Spirit is your constant companion. In fact, is living inside of you. And with spiritual amnesia, you feel unloved when in reality as a child of God you are loved eternally. So the bottom line in all of that is that spiritual amnesia just drains the life out of your spiritual life. And, and that creates that identity crisis. And so we're going to look at the Word of God over the next several weeks and some of the issues that are involved in this identity crisis just to affirm what God says about who you are and, and what changes have been made in your life, and what your position is, what your relationship is to God, if you're truly a child of God and you've been born again. We're going to deal with that identity crisis. Now, one of the issues that I see is the whole issue about security. So we're going to talk about that today. If we look at our culture today, I don't think it would take us long to understand that there are many, many different reasons why we could have a sense of insecurity in the culture today. A lot of things are, are in upheaval. A lot of things are in flux today. And that creates a sense of uncertainty and that creates a sense of insecurity. But when we look at it in terms of uh, our relationship and how it affects us, then we all have a need for then a, a, a sense of security. And we want it in a lot of different ways. We want job security, right? We want financial security that goes along with job security. We want social security. Hopefully that's around for everybody when your time comes to retire. We want national security. We want our relationships to be secure. Now, when we tend to seek all these things, we tend to seek them in a lot of different ways. I read something this week that said that the, the millennial generation, one out of four in the millennial generation sleeps today with a stuffed animal. That's a sense of looking for a uh, some kind of sense of security, I believe. A lot of us look for that security 
in a lot of other different ways. But when we're talking about spiritual security, we're talking about the absolute guaranteed certainty of our relationship with God and what that means for us in eternity. See, spiritual security is eternal security. You see, sometimes it's, we're like a child that might wonder from day to day if he or she is a member of the family. You're good one day, you know you're in the family. You're bad one day, well, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not loved. You're loved one day, you know, maybe you do some things that make you think that you're not loved the next day. And if you experience that, you know what that brings. That brings total insecurity and it makes you an emotional wreck. The bottom line is that believers in Jesus Christ should never experience that kind of anxiety. Because if you have been born again, if you're a child of God, if you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, then you are a part of God's family and peace and security are promised to you without fail in the Bible. In fact, that's a constant theme that runs all the way through the Bible is that God is capable, able, and strong enough to both save us and to keep us. And I think one of the strongest passages for us to look at that gives us that sense of security and that affirmation of that is in John's Gospel chapter 10. When we come and look at John's Gospel chapter 10, we see that Jesus is doing some teaching. He's been in dialogue. Those who are opposed to him are very critical of him. But he's introducing some new concepts about um, who he is. And in the beginning of this, he's talking about him being the shepherd and, being, and, and the sheep being his flock. And he talks about the fact that his sheep hear his voice and they never follow a stranger. That's something for us to listen to. And then he says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. And all who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but no sheep, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Then he says in verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then he goes on to say, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. And they too will listen to my voice and they shall be one flock and one shepherd. Well, when he ends that section of teaching, the scripture says, at these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said he's demon possessed. And raving man, why listen to him? And others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now we know Jesus did that both physically and spiritually. He opened the eyes of the blind. So now I want us to look at the passage of Scripture then, beginning in verse 22. Okay, I added a little bit more to it after I think we went to press with the bulletin and even with meteor shot. But here's what takes place after that. Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. 
Now, those are strong, powerful, encouraging words about our relationship with God and our security. We ought to be able to read those words and say, I am secure. So let's make sure of that today as we think about this issue about eternal security and identity crisis and spiritual amnesia and having trouble remembering who you are. You see, when we have the assurance of safety and security, then we are free emotionally and spiritually to be about being the children of God and doing what God wants us to do. I liken this passage of Scripture when Jesus is talking about our safety in His hand and in the Father's hand uh, to the building of the Golden Gate Bridge. It was built in, in 1937, and it cost about uh, $77 million. When they were constructing the first part of that bridge, there were no safety measures taken whatsoever, and 23 men fell to their death, dropped off the bridge and fell down to that great height all the way down into the water. When they began building the second phase of that bridge, they took security measures. They spent $100,000 to invest in a net that was strung all the way under the bridge. And the men could work in safety. Ten of them slipped and fell, but they fell into that net and they didn't perish. Now, not only did the men then work with, with a sense of safety and security, but they also worked with 25% greater uh, speed and Uh, attention to what they were doing. And see, I think when we come to understand our spiritual security is secure, then I think that frees us up to be the children of God and to do the business that God has called us to do. Being assured of our salvation, being assured of our eternal life sets us free to serve God uh, without any sense of insecurity in our life. Now, For us to make sure of our security so I can say, I am secure, so that every one of you today can leave out here saying, I am secure, then I need to ask you a series of questions, okay? Here's the first one. Let's check our security with these questions. First of all, you got to answer this question, is Jesus my shepherd? That's where it begins. He tells us that he's the shepherd and we are his sheep. And that's that theme all the way through. So you got to answer that question. Is Jesus my shepherd? And how do you know that? Well, there are three other questions that follow along with that. First of all, have you answered his call to experience salvation? Have you come to the point where you know who Jesus is, that he's the Son of God, the Messiah? He is Jesus the Christ. You know what he did. He went to the cross. He died on the cross for your sins. Dead and buried on the third day he came back. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in the glory of heaven. And there he's making intercession for you. Have you come to acknowledge him as the Lord and Savior of your life? Have you confessed your sins, repented of your sins, and accepted Jesus Christ as Savior? See, only when you do that are you one of his sheep. Only when you do that are you a child of God. And that is a great offer that God gives to you because of his grace. Ephesians 2 tells us about that. The Apostle Paul writes and says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. He goes on to say, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. See, have you come to experience that saving grace in Jesus Christ? Romans 10, 9 through 10 and 13 tells us this. 
that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is the heart that you believe and are justified and is with the mouth that you confess and are saved. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you acknowledged who Jesus is? Have you gained your salvation experience? Have you had that through the grace of God? Second question with that is, are you listening for his voice? Are you listening for the voice of Jesus? Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. And he goes on and he talks in there about they will not hear the, the voice of a stranger. They will not follow him. If you make a journey over to, uh, to Palestine today, you go to the Holy Land, you'll see that lived out. You'll see the Bedouin shepherds out on the hillside with their flocks of sheep. They're tending them all day. They're with their sheep all day. In the evening, they come in to the watering hole. And there might be eight, maybe ten flock of sheep with different shepherds, and they all come to the same water and hole, and those sheep get all intermingled. And you might wonder, how in the world are they going to go through this process of getting them straightened out? But all it takes is for the shepherd to go a certain place and make his distinctive sound. Sometimes it's a whistle. Sometimes it's something that he plays on a little pipe. Sometimes it's his voice with a shout or a command. And those sheep hear that. They know that shepherd. They've spent all day with that shepherd. They know that voice. And those sheep just begin to migrate towards the shepherd. You see, as a child of God, we need to be listening for the voice of Jesus Christ so that we can make sure that we are following after him in obedience. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. And the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd. The watchman opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. You listen today and there are a lot of strange voices that will want you to follow them. There are a lot of strange voices, false prophets, false teachings that will want you to follow them. And you have to be able to discern the voice of Jesus Christ. Are you listening for his voice so that you can be obedient? And then thirdly then, are you following Jesus as your shepherd? John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I think it quite simply says, if you're a believer in Jesus, then you are to follow Jesus in obedience. It's a commitment that you make to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. A lot of things he tells us, not legalistically, But a lot of things that Jesus tells us that as his followers we're supposed to do in obedience. We're supposed to love. We're supposed to give. We're supposed to serve. You know, we're we're supposed to witness. We're supposed to do a lot of different things. And so we need to do that in obedience. You can't do that unless you're a part of the flock. You can't do that unless you're a child of God. You can't do that unless you've been born again. You can't do that unless Jesus is your shepherd. So I ask you that. Do you know the security of knowing Jesus as your shepherd? If not, then you need to confess your sins, repent of those sins, and trust Him as Savior today. Now, here's the second question I'm going to ask you then about this security. Do you believe the promises of security? Do you believe the promises of security? There are three specifically mentioned in this great passage here in John 10. The first is that of eternal life. That's a great promise, eternal life. That promise is that everyone who comes to Jesus Christ in repentance of sin and confessing Him as Savior, 
The promise is that we will live forever. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life. And from that moment on, we have eternal life. I didn't count it, but I read this week that someone wrote about the book of John and said 43 times in the book of John, we are given the promise and the assurance of eternal life. Can you imagine that? In one gospel book in the New Testament, 43 times God gives inspiration to the fact that we have eternal life. John 3, 16, very simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Just as simple as that. 43 times he tells us we have eternal life. And his promise is not temporary. His promises are for all eternity. Eternity means just that. It's forever. It's eternal. And that means in Christ, nothing can separate you from eternal life. You will be with him forever. In John 5, 24, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. John 6, 47, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. There's the promise of eternal life. Do you believe that you have eternal life? The second promise is eternal protection. Not only does God save you and provide for you eternal life, but he guards you. He gives you eternal protection. You see, God wants you to spend eternity with him. His desire is for us to be with him forever. And so to fulfill that desire, he gives us eternal protection. Listen to what Jesus says, John 10, 28 through 29. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now, when you look at verse 28, it says never. It's actually in the Greek a double negative, which would say not never. Now, in English, that's bad grammar. Don't use that in school, okay? That's bad grammar. But in Greek, it's an emphasis upon making a very powerful positive statement. It's like saying, dang, it happened. You're not going to be separated from God. Never, never, ever will that happen. Perish? No way. Never happen. Never happen. Somebody put it, paraphrase it this way. And I I like this because it's powerful. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall not at all by any means, in any case, in any place, at any time, for any purpose, whether they be male or female, perpetually or eternally, ever perish. That pretty well sums it up, doesn't it? See, our security is safe because we are in a double grip of divine strength. We're in a double grip of divine strength. Look at verse 28. Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Here's where you are in Jesus, right here. And that means no power, no person, no force can ever take you out of his hand. Then he goes on to say, Verse 29, 
No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. What does that mean? Here you are in Jesus. You're in his hand. God has his hand over that. And you are doubly kept by the divine power of God and Jesus Christ. Now, if suppose, just suppose because it doesn't exist, just suppose there was some kind of power or force that could pry open the hand of God. What happens? You're still held secure and the power of Jesus Christ. Now, here's how you need to look at where you are in the hand of Jesus. Don't look at standing in his open palm, because you could fall off. But you are in his hand, and it is closed tightly. And then on top of that is God's hand. And there is no force anywhere on earth, in heaven, or under the earth, anywhere, that's strong enough to rip open the hand of God, you are eternally secure. Does that make you feel better today? Do you feel eternally secure? See, that's why Paul could write in Romans 8 these words and remind us of this. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither, listen to these things, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is eternal security, is it not? You ought to be able to read those words and say, I'm secure. I believe I've been saved. I'm claiming eternal life. And I've got eternal protection. Then there's a third promise in this passage of Scripture. And that is eternal unity. Eternal unity. See, when we accept Christ as our Savior and Lord, then we become a part of the relationship of the unity with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in verse 30, I and the Father are one. And he's simply emphasizing the relationship that he has with the Father that carries over into our relationship. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He's saying just as the Father is in relationship to the Son, The sheep are in relationship to both the Father and the Son. We are united to God eternally through our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Do you believe these promises? Do you really believe these promises? Can you claim those as absolutely being true? No doubt about it. Right? You believe these promises. Eternal life, eternal protection, and eternal unity. That's what's yours through salvation. All right, so now, if you've had any kind of identity crisis struggle, maybe with your spiritual security, and you come today, all right, I've got this affirmation today. All right, I believe the Scriptures. Okay, I've been reassured. I'm eternally safe. I'm in the hand of Jesus. That is in the hand of God. Nothing is going to rip me out of the hand of God the Father. Nothing in life, no power can do that. 
What difference will it make in your life? That's where we live today. That's the bottom line. I have to ask you this then. Will you live securely? If you are secure in your faith, then what will you do with that security? Just walk out here and say, oh, okay, I got that settled. I want to be secure. I think there's some significant uh, changes in our life, some significant lifestyle principles uh, that should be true in our life when we are guaranteed of our security and we know that we're safe for all eternity. Number one is we should live with confidence. See, there shouldn't be any anxiety about am I saved, am I in the kingdom, am I going to go to heaven? No, there shouldn't be any kind of anxiety about that in your life whatsoever. There shouldn't be any fear about death. There shouldn't be any fear about eternal life. You're kept in the hand of God by the power of God. You should live with confidence. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1.7 and says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, some places say fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. Some say a sound mind. All of that put together says we should be living confidently. Not arrogantly, but confidently. Because we are a child of God. We're a part of the kingdom of God. Then secondly, I think we should live obediently. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So you think about all that Jesus has done for you. And there are those things that he tells you you're supposed to do. You're supposed to love one another. You're supposed to serve one another. You know, you're supposed to be a witness with your life and with your testimony, with the faith. You know, you're supposed to be a good giver. You're supposed to be generous with your lifestyle. You're supposed to put your spiritual gifts into practice and use those for the good of the kingdom of God. Are you going to live obediently? See, but you don't live obediently to gain God's blessings and favor. You live obediently because you love Jesus Christ. You're in love with him because of what he did for you. He doesn't want us to behave or to follow him or be obedient out of fear but he wants us to do it out of gratitude for what he has done for us. So you should live obediently as well as confidently. And then thirdly, we should live boldly in our witness. See, we are called upon, and it's mandated of us that we should share our faith. But doesn't it make sense that if you're not secure in your faith, if you've got doubts about your faith, if you've got doubts about eternal life, if you've got doubts about the fact that what Jesus did on the cross and saved you, 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 you say, well, you know, maybe this is true. You know, how far do you think it would go if you sit down with somebody to, to share the plan of salvation with them and then you say, you know what, it's possible that this might be true. Let, let, let's, let's look at these scriptures. This says God loves you. That could be true. This says if you repent of your sins and confess your sins, then you're a part of the kingdom of God. That could be true. Would you want to believe in that with me? You think somebody's going to believe in that? I mean, what kind of selling point is that? But when you can say with the Apostle Paul, we sang this great hymn in the 9 o'clock service, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have entrusted to him for that day. You know, Paul says that in 2 Timothy 1.12. When you know that, when you say, I know whom I have believed, when you are confident in your faith, you can live boldly in your witness. Again, not arrogantly, but confidently and boldly sharing the love of God 
and telling about the kingdom of God. So here we are today dealing with this identity issue, identity crisis, and we've dealt with security. Psychologists tell us that we human beings are security-oriented from the time we are born. There's some discussion back and forth about that. Some say it's a selfish nature because if you, even with a newborn child, even with a newborn child, you extend the finger to that child, get it near that hand, what happens? What's that baby do? They will grab hold of that finger, aren't they? There's some who say that's a sense of selfishness. We want to grab everything and keep it to ourselves. Now, that's the need for security, you know. And it goes from holding that finger to nursing, to the pacifier, to the security blanket, you know, to being a millennial and sleeping with a stuffed animal, whatever you got. You know, wherever you find your sense of security, we are people who cling to things for security. We need to cling to the right thing for security, and that is our faith in the most powerful presence ever known, and that's the power of God the Father through Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers. And when you're clinging to Jesus... You're clinging to the right thing to have the right security. So let me ask you today, are you secure in your salvation? Can you live with confidence the rest of your life? Guaranteed that you're in the hand of Jesus that's wrapped in the hand of God. For all eternity, you're safe. If not, then you need to do business with God today. You need to confess your sins, repent from your sins, confess Jesus Christ as Savior. Enter into the kingdom of God. Find that assurance of forgiveness, eternal life, eternal protection, as only God can give it to you. Father, we thank you for the great love you have for us. Thank you for the fact that you gave that to us in Jesus Christ. And as the good shepherd, he knows us as his sheep. Thank you that he laid down his life for us. He gave his life for us on Calvary so that we could be forgiven of our sins. Thank you then, Father, that when we believe in him, that we are in that relationship with you that is eternal and secure for all time. Help us, Father, in that security to live confidently and boldly for your namesake and for the glory of the kingdom of God. Father, I pray that for every one of us here today that we would be secure in our faith, secure in our salvation, secure for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.